1966. The Ray family made a move from Phoenix, Arizona to Orange, California. I was eight years old. The place where we moved was a child's dream. I have a pretty good idea that it may have been a parent's nightmare. The church where my father was pastor had a, a parsonage that was a few blocks away from the church. It was a small house, just a hair over 1,000 square feet. My youngest brother was just learning to walk, but I have a brother younger than me by four years, and then myself, my mom and dad, three boys in this little house. But the yard was amazing. My mom, a lot of times, listens to these services online, and she made me about to learn some things she didn't know, so pray for me. It was a great place. It was easy to climb up the standards on the covering of the porch and get on the roof. As an eight-year-old kid playing with the neighbors in the yard, being up on the roof was a wonderful vantage point. There were oleander bushes along the driveway, even though we had been told over and over again that those were poisonous and we needed to be careful. They were so big that it made an amazing fort, and I spent many hours inside those bushes. The backyard was lined with roses, and there was this huge century plant, it's a kind of cactus, that provided an amazing home for our desert tortoise, a turtle by the name of Speedy. And it was just a great place. Our neighbor next door, one of those stay off my lawn type of guys, had a tree that dropped avocados into our backyard for free. And in the middle of that yard, there was a dwarf peach tree. Now, I love peaches. And I will just tell you right now, being originally from South Carolina, they grow more peaches in South Carolina than they do in Georgia. Even though they call Georgia the peach state, South Carolina really is the peach state. And I love the peaches that you get there. And so as an eight-year-old boy settling in this new amazing place, I saw with great relish that peach tree in the middle of the backyard. We moved in May, and so there were already green peaches on 
the tree. And I watched them intently as they began to change color. They weren't that big, but when the color got right, with great relish and without asking permission, I went out and grabbed a peach from that tree, broke it open, tossed the pit, and took a big bite of the most horrendous thing I had ever encountered in my life. It was bitter. It turned my mouth inside out. My first thought was, it just looked like a peach, and I had consumed poison. I learned many years later that if weather was unusually dry or if there was shock to a tree, that a peach tree could produce bitter fruit. And maybe the next year it would be just fine. I don't know, because after that experience, I never tried another peach from that tree. The disappointment in having my expectations unmet was just too great for a young boy. There is a sense in which there is that same kind of experience in the story or the song that the prophet Isaiah shares in the fifth chapter of Isaiah, in the first seven verses. Most scholars seem to think that this particular word from Isaiah was delivered at the time of Sukkot, or the Feast of Booths in the worship of the people of Israel and Judah. Interestingly enough, it would have been about this time of year because the Jews began their observance of Sukkot on Friday at sundown, just the day before yesterday. It was a time when the people of Israel were encouraged to remember God's faithfulness. They celebrated the harvest. It was the time when grapes were gathered and when all the other crops were gathered and people brought offerings of thanksgiving to God for his blessing. They were encouraged to live in shelters outside, reminding them of the time when the Israelites wandered in the wilderness and God provided miraculously for them. It was a time for celebrating the harvest. And in that context, then, Isaiah spoke these words. I will sing a song about the one I love, a song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. 
He broke up the soil, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the finest vines. He built a tower in the middle of it, and even dug out a wine press there. He expected it to yield good grapes, but it yielded worthless grapes. Now, residents of Judah, of Jerusalem and men of Judah, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why, when I expected it to yield good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? Now I will tell you what I'm about to do to my vineyard. I will remove its edge and it will be consumed. I will tear down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland. It will not be pruned or weeded. Thorns and briars will grow up. I will also give orders to the clouds that rain should not fall on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, the plant he delighted in. He expected justice but saw injustice. He expected righteousness, but heard cries of despair. Through this poem, this song, the Lord says, I did everything for my vineyard.
And that is exactly what God did for Israel. It's interesting that Jesus, during his earthly ministry, he used this same image. But this time he used his image, this image to portray how people would treat him in the world. People who were supposed to know the will of God, the plan and purpose of God. He shared a parable about the owner of a vineyard who leased out the vineyard to others who would care for it. When it came time for him to get his share of the produce, those who had taken care of the vineyard refused to give him what he deserved. They mistreated his servants, killed some. In one record of the parable, Jesus says that he even sent his own son, saying, surely they will respect my son. But those who were taking care of the vineyard said, this is the heir, if we kill him, then the vineyard will be ours. Jesus said to those who were listening, and incidentally this was in the week between Palm Sunday and Good Friday. He said the owner of the vineyard, what will he do? I tell you what he will do. He will visit his wrath and vengeance on that, on those who had cared for his vineyard. We see the bitterness of disappointment. I think a lot of times we don't think about God's disappointment with the people in whom he has invested so much. What does God want us to learn from the story of this bitter harvest. I think one of the first things he wants us to remember is that God has made great provision for us. During the Feast of Sukkoth, it was important for the Jews to remember how God had provided for them, how God had taken care of them as they wandered in the wilderness, how God continued to bless them. How he had settled them in a land that they saw as literally flowing with milk and honey. How God had protected them from enemies that were so much more powerful than they were. How God had done for them everything he possibly could do to show his love, to show the fact that they were his chosen people to give them the opportunity to live and work as he had purposed for them. He had provided for them mightily. 
It's a reminder to us as we read the story that God has provided for us everything we need. I'm not just talking about the food that we eat, the places where we live. I'm talking about as the people of God, God has provided for us everything we need in order to accomplish the purpose for which he has placed us on this planet. Jesus gave the Great Commission, telling us to go and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. That's a daunting task. But he's given us the ability to speak. In this day and age, he has given us the internet and other ways in which we can share the gospel and every part of the world. More important than anything else, he has given us a message to share about his love, about his mercy, about his grace. There is not a reason that anyone could imagine that we could not fulfill the commission for which he has given us. He's given us everything we need. And yet, the world still does not know Christ. And even in the places where the gospel is proclaimed the most freely, belief in the saving grace of God through Jesus Christ seems to be on the wane rather than growing. God has given us everything we need. We need not, we must not think about the things that we lack when it comes to accomplishing God's purposes. Because along with God's great provision for us, He also has great expectations of us. He does expect us to share the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ with the whole world. He does expect us to live faithfully according to his word. He does expect us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. He does expect the world to know his nature and to know Jesus not only through what we say, but through how we live. He has great expectation. Like this vineyard owner who did everything he could to provide for this vineyard. He had great expectations for the harvest. But when we fail in our calling, God has great disappointment in us. I was looking at some pictures this past week from the Napa Valley in California, the area where they grow so much of so many of the grapes and make so much of the wines 
sold out of the United States. Vast, beautiful vineyards, ravaged by fire. And I saw the picture that one photographer had taken of a vineyard owner standing in the midst of rows of grapevines with charred, burned clusters of grapes hanging on the vine. And you could see the devastation and the disappointment in the faces of these vineyard owners who just a few weeks ago had had hearts filled with anticipation of an amazing harvest, but now we're left with disappointment. God is disappointed when we fail in our calling as well. When we think about how well He has provided for us, and how great His expectation is of us, when we fail to step up and be the people He's called us to be, He is disappointed when we fail in our calling. So how should we respond to God's disappointment? I think first, we need to repent of our shortcomings. We need to understand that when we fail to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish, it's not because God has not provided us with the resources. It's not because God didn't expect anything better of us. But rather, it's because we didn't live up to His expectations. We did not produce the fruit for which He prepared us. And it's time for us to be honest, not about God's shortcomings, but about ours, and we need to repent. The reason things are like they are in this country today, and we've been rehearsing so many of these challenges as we've been talking in our book study on Sunday evenings. The reason things are the way they are today is because God's people have not lived up to God's expectation. And rather than trying to point the finger at an individual or a party or an institution, it's time for us to understand that the spiritual condition of this nation is the responsibility of those who were called to stand in the gap, the people of God. And we need to stop looking for other people to blame and repent of our shortcomings. And once we do that, then it is important for us to renew our relationship with Him. To say, Lord, I know where I have fallen short. I don't want to be that way 
sang a song earlier talking about coming back to the heart of worship. We need to come back. We need to renew our walk with the Lord. Renew our dedication and our commitment to accomplish the purpose for which he has called us. And then once we have renewed our relationship with him, then we can re-engage in the life in which he's called us. We still have time. Because we have a moment. Christ may return tomorrow, but we have a day where if we will repent and renew our relationship with God, we can re-engage and be the people He's called us to be. What would the world look like as a result? What would this community look like as a result? It would be overflowing with the love of God. It would be overflowing with the grace of God demonstrated through the people of God. It would be a community where the word of God was known, not just as it was read or proclaimed, but as it was lived each and every day in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, the places of business and commerce. still not too late for the vineyard owner's expectations to be met. But those of us in whom he has invested so much, very life blood of Jesus Christ, we have to take our
to enable us to accomplish the purpose to which you've called us. The amazing opportunities that you give us to accomplish the purpose for which you have called us and placed us in this world. Thank you so much for your gracious, abundant provision. Lord, we confess that we have not done what we could or what we should with what you have given. But we ask, Lord, that you will forgive us, renew our relationship with you, and send us out ready to re-engage the world to which you Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray.